Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to check in again on one of our long-running playlists, but it's not going to be Epic versus Apple or Activision versus California and seemingly everyone else. Instead, we're going to talk about one of our other playlists that we haven't checked in on in a while, and that is CD Projekt, CDPR, and Cyberpunk 2077 we have a reputation to burn. Now, I've long been a fan of CD Projekt Red's output. Witcher 3 is one of my top games of all time. But as the story surrounding Cyberpunk 2077 evolved, this playlist grew to have its name. And Cyberpunk 2077 is one of those game releases that's probably going to be discussed in business books, maybe law books, when all is said and done. And that's because the product really wasn't ready to be sold, at least on the old generation systems, the PlayStation 4s and the Xbox Ones. So when Sony moved to strike it from the store, when everybody was looking at CD Projekt and what they had done with respect to their communications, I did a series of videos about fraud on the market, right? People were asking me, can we sue over the release of this game? And I said, mm, maybe, but what's more likely to happen is that the investors could sue, that there is a notion that they could have committed a fraud on the market in United States securities law parlance, meaning that the company didn't tell the truth or was misleading about the status of where they were at with putting this game out there. And right after we did that video, immediately thereafter, investors did in fact sue that a class action was being put together with a lead plaintiff that wanted to represent the investors that had the price of the shares in the market, as they allege, unlawfully altered by misstatements or lack of truthfulness in what CD Projekt Red was telling folks. And you can see that in that video. Here's a version of the lawsuit that was actually filed against CD Projekt Red talking about materially false and misleading statements. They set up the groundwork. They say after the close of the reporting period in January of 2020, so about a year before the release of the game, the management board announced that the release date would be pushed back to September. We know it was then pushed back to November. It was then pushed back to December and the board justified this decision by pointing out the need for additional time to play, test, bug fix, and polish the game. This is all leading up to the fact that, of course, the game released and it was one of the more buggy. It didn't work very well on old generation consoles and it caused a lot of trouble for CD Projekt Red. So they have all these quotes to say, yes, we're confirming. Actually, today we started preparing for final certification. We're very close. The current version, which will be released in November, ultimately December, will be playable from the beginning when next-gen consoles are released. You'll be able to play the current-gen version on next-gen from day one. I wouldn't say there's a problem because there's nothing wrong with the older generation versions. There's just optimization to be handled. There's no problem, to be honest. The game will be launched on all of these things. In the past few days, we released a few trailers. We're still quality assuring the game. We boasted, but we do it both internally and externally. So in terms of bugs, we are aware of them. Of course, such a big game can't be bug-free. But then, of course, it releases in the state it released upon. And as I also said in videos in this playlist, the management board was not great at staying silent on topics that could lead to these kinds of lawsuits. So they said things like, after three delays, we as the management board were too focused on releasing the game. We underestimated the scale and complexity of the issues. We ignored the signals about the need for additional time to refine the game on the base last-gen consoles. And once they say that kind of stuff, they're effectively inviting a lawsuit like this one. And in fact, a number of other ones. Other videos in this playlist talk about the fact that as of earlier this year, various outlets were reporting on the number of lawsuits that were coming in as if CD Projekt would be handling all of them separately. I made that video to point out that when you've got similar concepts, similar legal and factual questions, those 
claims are going to be consolidated. We'll see that CD Projekt Red says, in fact, that they were in the spring of this year and that they would be looking at all of those at once. But the investors did have a point that they could claim that the management board appears to have been hiding the ball. We also talked in that video about the fact that the managers did have a defense of some kind to essentially say they were just bad at their jobs. That fraud in the market requires an intent component to mislead the market, to lie to the market. And to some extent, they might have a defense of saying, hey, we didn't know what we were getting into. And part of their answers kind of talk to that. Now, in the last couple of weeks alone, we've had other instances of CD Projekt being out of its depth to be generous or otherwise misleading folks, right? We've got a transcript that is asked the question, has Keanu Reeves played the game? Keanu Reeves playing Johnny Silverhand, obviously a big part of the marketing for the game. And they answer, yes, yes, he played the game. But as far as I know, he hasn't finished it yet. So, but definitely he played the game and he loves it. And then it was in an interview, I believe it was with The Verge surrounding the Game Awards and them pitching The Matrix and the new movie. He says, no, really not even Cyberpunk comes to follow up. No, I mean, I've seen demonstrations, but I've never played it. The actor responded, which looks like a lie. I think we could actually give the benefit of the doubt here and say that the management at CD Projekt is combining, hey, Keanu Reeves sat in a room and watched someone play this game and was impressed by it and loves it, etc. Obviously, as far as I know, he hasn't finished it yet is uh, probably across the line for misleading and maybe even across the line for lying. So all of this looks bad. But it's not quite the same as we didn't tell folks what the product was going to be when we released it. It just is the nature of the thing that you've got these pending lawsuits. And one of the first things I thought when I saw these articles is, oh, that'll be useful uh, as part of those legal actions. And I think CD Projekt probably felt the same. But as it turns out, they were already looking at settling the issue when those quotes came out. Here's a May 18th report from the CD Projekt board that says the management board hereby informs that according to the information obtained from a law firm cooperating with the company, the court has consolidated the lawsuits and appointed a lead plaintiff, telling the world that all, I believe it was four class action lawsuits had been consolidated, which as I mentioned, is what was likely to happen here. They're basically fighting over who gets to be lead plaintiff and lead counsel and make the legal bucks out of a suit like this one. And then as of December 8th, about nine days ago, they reported that they were going to be entering into settlement negotiations with these class actions. It said on 8 December 2021, it received notification from the law firm representing the company in the case to the effect that the court had suspended proceedings concerning the motion to dismiss due to the parties having entered into negotiations concerning a potential settlement. Now, this might be a nature of it being translated from Polish into English, uh, but this is interesting insofar as it kind of sounds passive, that they hired a law firm to handle this and that the management board is just getting reports and not directing that process at all. Ordinarily, certainly in the United States, it would be the board that would be initiating these kinds of things. And then the counsel would be doing what the company tells it, the company being the client and the lawyers just being the knights that otherwise represent their clients in the field of litigation battle. But this is a little bit more passively worded. Again, could be a translation issue. This is as of December 8th. And then as of yesterday, we get this. Subject, disclosure of inside information concerning initiation and negotiations. We kind of got that a week ago. And conclusion of a settlement term sheet, which as part of the process effectively means that the sides have agreed as to what this settlement should look like. They say in the framework of negotiations concerning a potential settlement agreement in a case pending before the U.S. District Court for the Central District of California, here and after referred to as the court because it's a bit of a long title, a proposal regarding key terms, which 
if agreed upon, would provide the basis for a prospective written settlement agreement was officially formulated on 7 December 2021. Now, the dates here are a little bit interesting because they inform the world that they're in negotiations on December 8th. The term sheet comes in on December 7th. So this announcement is actually happening after, in all likelihood, the term sheet is proposed by the plaintiffs in this case. They're considering it. They tell the world that they are considering it. And then as of a week later, we get this. According to the terms of that term sheet, members of the class, including the plaintiffs, would relinquish all claims against the company and members of its management board. Furthermore, under the agreement, a settlement in the amount of 1.85 million US dollars would be paid out to the class by the company and its insurer, Colonnade Insurance SA. In relation to the above information, the management board of the company wishes to inform that following the conclusion of negotiations on 15 December, of which the company received notice on 16 December, the sides signed a binding settlement term sheet specifying the key provisions of the settlement agreement. The term sheet stipulates that the settlement shall cover all parties to the case, including members of the class. So breaking this down in terms of process, and again, we get this kind of passivity in terms of how the management board is telling the public about all of this. They have counsel working on this in the United States with respect to these class actions against the company. They are proposed a term sheet that probably has this $1.85 million or maybe 1.5 and they talk, whatever it might be. This term sheet is proposed to them. They tell the world that they're entering into negotiations. And then as of the 15th, of which the company received notice the next day, their counsel signed a binding settlement term sheet. And the company can do that. A company can tell counsel, hey, we're willing to pay uh, up to this amount of money. If anything comes in below that and it doesn't hit us uh, and the insurer is okay with it, sign it up and then just tell us about it so that we can tell everybody else, which sounds like how this went. But it does mean with a signed binding term sheet that at least the sides here, the lead plaintiffs in the class and CD Projekt have agreed that 1.85 million US dollars is a good amount to settle this up. You'll also note that it references the fact that it would include the members of the class in their entirety. Remembering how a class action works, either from earlier in that playlist or just because you already know how it works, a class action is designed to have a singular or at least a small group of lead plaintiffs argue the case for everybody that might be in a like situation to them. So this would be investors in CD Projekt over a specific period of time, which I don't know how the case got consolidated, but it would mean that if you were invested in CD Projekt, you're probably a member of the class and you're probably entitled to a pro rata portion of some amount of $1.85 million. It's going to in part go to the lawyers because if we tell you anything in virtual legality, the lawyers always get paid. So if you've seen these in your inboxes, you've gotten an email, maybe Microsoft, maybe Spotify, maybe someone else, and say, hey, you're probably a member of the class. If you're interested in your 65 cents, fill out this whole form, get it into the court. And if it isn't otherwise claimed, various things will happen to it under the class action. That's what's being talked about here. Hey, were you invested in the United States in a derivative security of CD Projekt? If you were over this specific time frame, then fill in your sheet and maybe we'll get you a check for some amount of dollars, depending on how big that class is, depending on how much is taken up by lawyers or administrative fees or anything else as part of this particular settlement. And that will wipe out your interest in suing over this particular topic uh, for these purposes. And that's what CD Projekt's trying to get for its roughly $2 million. That's what the lead plaintiff and the various investors are trying to get. But it's not quite the end of the story because it can be challenged. Says, as expressly stated in the term sheet, execution of the term sheet does not imply admission of any responsibility on the part of the part company, it never does, or any of the other defendants named in the case. 
The company wishes to announce that its decision to enter into the settlement agreement was motivated by what we talk about in virtual reality. The duration and costs related to further legal proceedings in the U.S., which might arise irrespective of the court's findings. Lawyers get paid, right? And lawyers get paid whether you win or you lose. So if you can come to an arrangement that is roughly what you think you might owe or you might lose in a court case, it makes sense for both parties to settle up because then the lawyers ostensibly get paid a little bit less, certainly on the CD project side, and you arrive at roughly where you were going to be at anyway. Litigating a suit like this, a complex securities action over the course of a period of time, would have cost them a substantial amount in legal fees. So you say, hey, let's just settle it. And that's one of the reasons, as we talk about in this space, something like 95% of civil actions get settled in this fashion. Now, they're explaining it to their public because they're a Polish company. And I think in some respects, this might look a little odd uh, to a Polish public. Number two, acceptance of the key provisions of the settlement agreement by the company's insurer. Always useful. If you're insured for these kinds of things, you want to make sure your insurer is on board with whatever you're agreeing to, because otherwise you're going to have a fight with them. So, hey, we've got a lot of costs in U.S. legal fees and our insurer has agreed to this. Three, an opinion expressed by the U.S. law firm representing the company and the other defendants named in the case recommending acceptance of the agreement Certainly at a $1.85 million level, I think I probably would have been recommending it as well. Obviously, I'm not in the room. I don't know exactly what the facts are arrayed against them, but I can read the complaint, say, hey, this is a relatively small amount of money for this kind of thing. And four, the general practice in the U.S. of concluding such litigation by way of an out-of-court settlement, which I found interesting, right? I don't operate in the EU. I don't operate in Poland. This is a message to their investors that, hey, this is the way things are done in the U.S. If you don't know, they settle civil actions, probably... A lot of the reason because of number one, that the lawyers are expensive and litigation in and of itself is a punishment. So if you can avoid it, if you can be even close to what that number is going to be, you're going to settle those up. As a follow-up to the term sheet, the company, the other defendants named in the case, and the plaintiffs shall draw up a document which formalizes the settlement agreement. So right now, in terms of process, there's a term sheet, probably one, two, three pages that has the bullet points. It's going to be 1.85. This is how it's going to be split. We're each going to release each other of all claims, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then you draft up the actual legal documents, those ones that people call legalese that go over more of the specifics so that it's very, very clear exactly what's happening rather than just the salient business terms related to the settlement. Subsequently, but not later than on 13 January 2022, the plaintiffs shall petition the court for preliminary approval of the settlement, which will not be opposed by the company or the other defendants named in the case. So the process here is, hey, the court gets to sign off on this. The court is part of this process since the charging document was filed and gets to say, hey, this is unfair, or more likely this is fair. Courts need a good reason generally to intervene in these settlements. Not that they don't do it, they do. Uh, but in general, if the two parties are in agreement, then things are going to be okay. Classes are slightly more complicated because even though you're representing everyone in your class, a class member might say that's too low. A class member might be otherwise upset. That can happen. It is expected that further steps will involve the court's preliminary ruling on whether to approve the settlement agreement, notifying members of the class, and then the court's final ruling on whether to approve the settlement agreement. So it's going to take a little while. And according to information received by the company, presumably from their U.S. counsel, the above procedure is expected to conclude in several months. Yeah, it, it takes a while to go through federal court and get one of these things done. But they are telling the world, they're telling the public, this is what was reported on, that we think we can get this investor stuff to go away for under 2 million US dollars, which 
when you look at some of the other headlines of all of this, of Cyberpunk 2077 being the largest game in the company's history, making them hundreds of millions of dollars, seeing that they still want to invest in that product line and make money. And certainly they had built the hype of this game to such a level that that in part was what made this story so crazy in 2020 and 2021, that Cyberpunk 2077 wasn't just some game that exploded when it was released. It was one of the marquee hype-fueled games of the year that exploded upon release. So ultimately, and I know a lot of you leave comments to this effect here in virtual legality, $1.85 million for this kind of result. Hey, maybe it should have waited a year if you were really going to make investors happy and everything else. Seems pretty justified by the board. And that can be a legal process that you think is broken. That can be a legal process that you think has something fundamentally wrong with it. Not sure I disagree with you, except to note that I do think that CD Projekt had a fundamental defense of effectively, we're bad at this, it's getting translated, we're not native English speakers, we were doing our best, we thought it was okay and it wasn't, et cetera, et cetera, that makes these kinds of claims harder than you might otherwise think. And so a settlement also made sense on the plaintiff's side to say, well, we don't know what we don't know. It's going to take a long time. Those lawyer's fees are going to accrue, whatever that might look like at the end of the day. And so we also want to settle because money in the pocket is better than conditional money, which we might receive two years from now. And so settlement makes sense on both sides. Either way, Cyberpunk 2077 will continue to be in the news. We'll continue to be covering it. Here in virtual legality, if you like this stuff, if you like hearing about the business and law of things like video games, pop culture, technology, and more, please consider supporting the channel. We can't do it without support from viewers and listeners like you. Otherwise, just subscribing, telling your friends, upvoting, sharing it online, every little bit helps. And there's one final announcement if you didn't see either in the community tab or otherwise as part of this channel, but not quite a part of virtual legality, we are doing our top 10 games of the year debate, me and my brother, who is a game developer, who may or may not reveal where he's working now after leaving Activision and moving on to hopefully greener pastures. I really don't know what he's allowed to say on that. So we'll have to see. Is this Saturday, December 18th at 1 p.m. Eastern? Please do check it out. Probably going to be a couple hours long, trying to add a little bit more production value this year. We always have a great time talking about it. So if you're interested in that at all, please do stop in, say hi in the chat because uh, we think we're going to be having a pretty fun time. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.